our God is infinitely worthy of our praise. And receiving our praise brings gladness to His heart, and giving Him praise brings gladness to our heart. This is how we find perfect happiness in eternity. Next phrase, the next phrase, to the praise of the glory of His grace. To the praise of the glory of His grace. So, in order to sort of wrestle through this phrase, let's just think about the three terms in here that really are driving the phrase. Praise, glory, grace. So, praise, what does praise mean? Praise is a recognition with adoration. It is a, uh, a, a manifest, it's a, a, not a manifestation, but it's a, a recognizing of an excellence of something. It is a favorable recommendation, a a commendation with delight. To praise is to speak words of high honor. Remember we talked about blessing and praise earlier back in verse 3, and we said how only the heart that knows God, the heart that's been converted, can bless God in that way. But all creatures will praise God. Philippians chapter 2. Verse uh, 8, 9, and 10, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and the great majority of those knees and those tongues will not be happy about what they're doing because they will be praising a God whom they wish wasn't God. They will be praising and honoring a God who who they wish wasn't real. However, the words that are spoken are words of high commendation, of, of, of recognition of excellence, of recognition of favor. So to the praise, and the next word is the glory. What is the glory? Glory just simply means manifested excellence or, or displayed excellence. All right. So I think of this in terms of, think of the full moon. Okay. So glory is Excellence or beauty that's beheld. The full moon is beautiful, right? That's a beautiful thing. But is the full moon always beheld? Right now it's not. Right now it's sort of a two-thirds moon, whatever the technical term for that is. Somebody knows. Unless you were in a different part of space, right? If you were to get into a spacecraft and go to a certain part of space right now, you would see a full moon but you don't see a full moon from here. So what about the glory of the moon? Is the glory of the moon gone? The moon is still just the same moon, but right now we aren't beholding its glory. We aren't seeing and recognizing the beauty and the glory of a full moon. It's still there. It hasn't left, but it's not being beheld And so therefore, in this sense, it's not glory. It's not being glorified, right? So God has always had all of his glory. However, in this sense, the glory of God needed creation in order to be seen and to be recognized. Because without people to see it and recognize it, God is still just as glorious but there's not the beholding of that, the recognizing of that. Okay. So, so far we got to the praise. Praise is just speaking of, uh, recognized excellence or recognized honor. 
recognized beauty. And then glory is, is manifold or manifested excellence. And the last thing is grace. So let's think about grace for just a minute and then we'll put all these, all three of these together. So grace, we know grace to be unmerited favor. Uh, favor that's not conditioned by the one that the grace is poured upon. But let's also think about grace in this way. And this has always helped me when I think about grace, particularly grace and mercy. This helps me to kind of, kind of put the two of those realities in my, in my own brain. Mercy, mercy is pity in the face of need. So mercy is acting upon pity when you see a need. Grace, by comparison, is favor in the face of guilt. Okay? So let's get the two of those concepts together. Mercy is pity that is acted upon a need. So if there's a need and someone sees that need and takes pity upon that and acts upon that, that's mercy. However, grace is favor that is acted upon guilt. So here's a little example to maybe help us. Let's say, for example, you see a beggar on the street and the beggar doesn't have clean clothes, looks like he hasn't had much to eat. And so you see this need and you have pity upon the need and you act upon that by helping the beggar. That's mercy. But let's say, for example, that in the, in so doing, you also find out that this particular homeless beggar person just yesterday robbed the convenience store down the street and then took the money that he robbed from the convenience store and used it to buy illicit drugs. So he's now guilty. He's guilty of being a thief and he's guilty of being a drug user. And you still not only show him mercy, but you now show him favor as well. That's the difference between mercy and grace. Grace happens in the face of guilt. Mercy happens in the face of need. As God's creatures, we have both. And we need both. We have profound need, but we also have profound guilt. That's why we need both God's mercy and God's grace. But when God shows us favor in the face of guilt, that's not mercy, that's grace. So now let's put the three of these ideas together, okay? To the praise of the glory of His grace. So praise, the the recognition, the ad, the adoration, the recognizing with adoration, the manifested beauty, the visible beauty of God's acting with favor toward the guilty. That's the phrase that Paul's shooting at us right now. The recognized manifestation of the beauty of God on display as He acts with favor towards sinners. So here's Paul's goal that he's been driving towards. This is the ultimate goal. Remember, the ultimate goal of of election and adoption is this goal to the praise of the glory of His grace. If you notice in the passage, everything is moving towards praise. Everything is moving that direction. Remember we mentioned these three subparagraphs. The end of all three paragraphs go to the same place, praise. The end of uh, this one, verse 6, the next one, verse 12, and the next one, verse 14, all of them end by going to the same idea, 
that eternity is moving all of us toward a place of praise. The whole passage began with grace. Everything began with God's grace before the foundation of the world. And everything is moving towards the praise of that grace. So God displayed grace. God had grace upon the guilty before the foundation of the world. And everything is now moving to the point in which God will be praised for the grace that He showed since before the foundation of the world. That's the, that's the, the direction. That's the flow of the whole passage here. So this grace that God shows is, this is the goal. This is God's goal in mind. In adoption, He adopts a people unto Himself. And in His mind, His ultimate goal here is to the praise of the glory of His grace. So why is this? God's attributes will receive praise and do receive praise for all kinds of things. Let's, let's say, for example, God's attribute of power, God's sovereign power. The creation praises His power. We praise His power when we see what He has made and what He has created. We praise His power. Or maybe God's wisdom. Think about God's wisdom. We praise God's wisdom when we contemplate the intricate workings of the universe, when we look through microscopes or we look through telescopes and we see just what a magnificently working universe God has created. We are praising His wisdom. We praise God's justice when we, when we think about the wrath of God poured out upon innocent Jesus on the cross. We are praising His justice there. We praise God's meekness when we contemplate Jesus submitting Himself to suffering and to insults and to beard pulling out and beatings and everything. We praise His meekness. However, we praise His grace with adoption. Our adoption, our goal, the God's goal in our adoption is that we praise His grace. And God's grace, listen to this, is His most foundational, most fundamental attribute. We've talked about this before. If you think back to Philippians and we talked about being content in God and we talked about God's heart, remember that? And we talked about the most fundamental attribute of God's heart. All of God's attributes, He doesn't have those equally. The greatest attribute of God's heart is His compassion. Remember how the Scripture showed us that quite clearly? That God, yes, He is a God of love. He's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of all these things. But most of all, greatest of all, He is a God of compassion. The Old Testament Scriptures showed us that again and again. Then we look to Jesus who comes to the earth as the manifestation of everything that it means to be God. We look to Jesus and we see what God is like. And what do we, what do we see when we look to Jesus? We see a man who is drawn to the miserable. A man who sees the, the demon-possessed and the, the lepers and the prostitutes and the outcasts of society and he cannot stay away. He must go to them. Why? Because at his very heart, he is compassion. And that is the root of grace. And so adoption brings praise to God's most basic attribute. His most fundamental attribute is His attribute of compassion, or call it grace, that's shown forth in adoption. 
And this is why Paul has built up to this point to say all of this is moving us to that place in eternity when we will praise the glory, not of God's holiness, not of God's wisdom, not of God's strength, not of God's power, but we will praise the glory of God's grace. The ultimate purpose of redemption is the praise of God's grace. Now, as God puts this on display, as He puts His great compassion on display, as He predestines us unto adoption as sons, we are glorifying Him, right? Jesus said in John 17, verse 10, I am glorified in them. So we are glorifying, we are magnifying, we are, as we said, to glory is to see, to behold excellence and beauty. We are beholding and glorifying the displayed excellence and beauty of a God who would predestine us unto adoption. Now, as God manifests His glory like this to us, and here's the part where it gets hard. You get, if your brain's not on yet, go ahead and crank it up. When God manifests His glory, that is the highest act He can do. The greatest thing that God can do is show us His glory. So let's think about this. Because that might sound, well, it does sound like one of those things that you really got to kind of think about. And I know we've been thinking so far and our brains are getting tired. Let's, let's juice them up for a little bit more because this is, this is really helpful to see. The greatest thing that God can do is show us His glory, manifest His glory to us so we can behold it. If God is the most beautiful being in the world, if God is the most glorious being in existence, then the greatest thing that that being can do is show you His glory so that you can praise it. And as we praise His glory, we receive the gladness, the happiness of praising Him, and He receives the praise that is due from His people that He has adopted into His family. There is a certain rightness. There's a certain rightness about praising God. Really, there's a certain rightness about praising all things that are praiseworthy. Right? Follow this train of thought. Do you know what it sort of feels like to, to see something that's praiseworthy and realize that it's not being praised or lauded or recognized for what it is? You know how that just sort of sets you at, at, at sort of an uneasiness, a disquietness? Right? Think, for example, what if, what if the music of Mozart had all been lost in a house fire? And what if the world had never known the music of Mozart? And the world had never listened to his symphonies and never been moved to tears by listening to such beautiful sounds and therefore had never lauded or praised this this incredibly talented man known as Mozart. How much poorer would the world be And so within that, there's this idea of that which is worthy of praise. There's something just really right 
about praising that which is worthy of praise. And the idea of something that's worthy of praise, not receiving that praise is something that just really sets us at unease, right? A similar idea is when we see things that aren't worthy of being praised, being praised by the world around us, right? Like, uh, you know, some athlete that wins by cheating or something, and they receive this praise, and you say, that's just not right. They're being praised for what they shouldn't be praised for. Okay? Now, take that idea, as meek and as meager as that idea is, take that idea and blow it up into infinity. The God who is infinitely, infinitely, can you get your mind around infinity? Infinitely deserving of praise. It is the most right thing in the world that that God receives that praise. And to think of that God not receiving that praise is the most wrong thing in the world. Do you follow? I know this is not an easy point to follow. But it's a really important one. Our God is infinitely deserving of praise. And the most right thing in this world is to praise that which is infinitely deserving of that praise. So now let's, let me change the analogy just a little bit from Mozart to another composer, Handel. And I want to do that because Handel is the only symphony I've ever been to. One Christmas years ago, I went to Handel's Messiah, which if you ever, if you ever get the opportunity, mortgage your house if you have to, to go to Handel's Messiah at Christmas. It is a moving experience. Okay, so I'm there. This it was two, two and a half hours long, and you know how those things are. They say hold your applause to the end. After two and a half hours of this, and it was over. Everybody in that building leaped to their feet and applauded for five minutes straight. Now, did we have to be made to praise what is worthy of praise? Did we have to be encouraged to praise that which is worthy of praise? Did they have to hold up a sign and say, now is the time to applaud? We had experienced something that was praiseworthy. And it brought delight to our hearts to praise enthusiastically. Do you follow where I'm going with this? When God, the one infinitely worthy of praise, when He manifests His glory to us, the gladdest, most pleasurable thing in our heart is to praise Him. On that day, we will spend from that point to eternity having hearts that are so full of desire to praise Him that it will be that experience at the end of Handel's Messiah will be nothing compared to that. It's like a whole building of people leaping to their feet. We cannot wait to show you how praiseworthy that was, how we enjoyed that. 
Our God is infinitely worthy of our praise. And receiving our praise brings gladness to His heart. And giving Him praise brings gladness to our heart. This is how we find perfect happiness in eternity. By praising that which is praiseworthy, we bring gladness to ourself and gladness to God. And He has shown us His praiseworthiness by not just doing some small meager thing for us, but by adopting us into His family, by choosing us. What a God. What a God. It brings God delight to manifest His attributes, to display His attributes. And His grace and His compassion is His most fundamental one. And to display that to His people and to receive their appropriate praise for that will bring great delight to His heart. What were you made to give God? What were you made to give God? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. What were you made to give God? You were made to give God what I just described. Not forced praise, not cajoled praise, not manufactured praise. But you were made, just like we leaping out of the seats, you were made to so enthusiastically praise God for eternity, bringing gladness to yourself and gladness to Him.